This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Let us get started. Okay, uh, so tonight we are learning for Lefwash Lema to Yecheskel Ben Tila. Also, the, the person that we mentioned last week, someone from Canada who was lost, is still lost. So we're learning for a safe find. Uh, there's a lot of time for him. Shimon Alexander Ben Chana River. Okay, let us begin. So we're up to the, the Maka, the plague of frogs. This is, I don't know how to explain, it's a lot of fun, it's very enjoyable. Well, just wait and see. Alright. Okay, so now, the, let, let's just jump straight into it. Can we jump straight into it? We have a few, uh, we have a few announcements, we're gonna use that at the end because they're so late. Okay, so now, the, the first plague which we spoke about last, last week, uh, ended. And Paro obviously didn't let the Jews go. First, the first plague, the plague of blood, we know that Moshe Rabbeinu came to Paro in, when he was in the Nile. So when he was doing his, his business in mining, you know, in his own world, Moshe Rabbeinu came and it was a one-on-one conversation. Nobody else heard about it. Nobody else, uh, you know, dealt with it. It was only, uh, it was only Moshe Rabbeinu and, and Paro. Now, when it comes to this plague, the plague of the frogs, Moshe Rabbeinu did it in the middle of the day in the palace, in front of everybody, while everybody's watching. Now, generally speaking, when uh, um, when you have a two fighting armies, one army doesn't tell the other army, hey, if you're not going to do what I say, this is what I'm going to do with you. We have two armies that are against each other. They don't spell out what they're going to do. Like, America is not going to go to whoever it is that they're worth with today and be like, hey, I'm going to send a nuke this way. I'm going to send a submarine over here. We don't, we, don't dis- we don't share our secrets. But God is different. God says, hey, listen, if you're not going to go and let the Jews out, this is exactly what I'm going to do. And he gives a warning. So Paro gets a warning now from Moshe Rabbeinu in front of all his advisors. So everybody knows that Paro is, is, is warned. Now, we know that Paro... Uh, considered himself a god, and he also considered the, uh, the entire Egyptian army and the entire Egyptian world, for that matter, considered the Nile also a god. They used to pray to the god. And when Moshe Rabbeinu went and and spoke to Paro, he mentioned there, he said that this river will produce the frogs, meaning that you, Paro, have absolutely no jurisdiction over the river. There is nothing that you're going to be able to do to stop it. So the Avaz Chaim goes and asks, says, why do we need two Plagues. Didn't I have a problem here last week? I also did, couldn't do numbers. Okay, so two, why can't it... I'm learning from my son. <laughs> you know, you have a little kid. You know, it's so cute how they put out numbers. They, they first take out everything and says, I need this many, you know. <laughs> so um, maybe that's rubbing off of me. So there was this many plagues that were involving with water. And the, the water... So, so the Abbas Chaim says, we already dealt with water in the plague of blood. Why are we dealing with it again in the plague of frogs? So the Abbas Chaim brings two, uh, you know, two answers. Number one, he says that when the plague of the, of, of the blood came, the Egyptians were so overwhelmed with everything turning to blood that they couldn't go and, and make the Jews work. But then when all of a sudden the plague went away and the Egyptians had some rest, so they were going to go and say, okay, listen, now let's get the Jews back to work. Everything should go back to normal. So God went and gave them the same punishment from the same source saying, hey, 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 don't forget what I just did. Like, we just dealt with water. Listen, I could, we could go all day long over here. And says, we'll take another plague, another plague. Meaning, the, the lesson that you learn from this is, don't forget the lessons that God gives you. Because they're just going to come louder and stronger the second time around. The, so that's one reason why the plague came with water. So, it says Abbas Chaim, to remind the Egyptians, don't forget about the plague of blood. And now it's going to be another plague, meaning, remember what God did. The reason number two is that the Egyptians could claim 
that you know where God has only power? God only has power only over the water. Look at history. The flood. Where did the flood take place? The, the God destroyed the entire world with water. Over here, where is God dealing with also with the, with the, with the makav of blood, the previous one? Also with water. Says the Avas Chaim, says, what, what did God do? God took the water, something amazing. He took the water, something that came from the water frogs, and then he changed the nature of the frogs. So the nature of the frogs usually stay in the water. Now they came out of the water and into the land, and they did a bunch of other things that were against the nature, which we'll soon see. But what we see over here, that God not only has a power of the water, he also has a power of changing the water to turn into, into land. And this is going to also go into the next makab, which is lice, which start, which deals with the earth, which we'll bizarre speak about next week. So in any case, this, you know, the whole idea with plagues and the, all these makot is really an education. It's an education to the Egyptians and it's an education to the Jewish people. Now, the, the when the makot begins, so there is a, um, what, and people, people here understand Hebrew, right? So, so a, a frog in Hebrew, anybody know? How's it called? Tzaldea. Tzaldea can be split apart into, you could always take a word and you could split it into, you know, different words. So tzvaldea can be split into tzipodea. Tzipod, anybody know what tzipod is? Bird. Tzipodea, anybody know what dea means? Knowledge, understanding? Yes. Very good. So tzipod, this is a sort of a, a uh, uh, letting the birds know. Now what is the idea with tzvaldea, tzipodea, the association with birds? The reason for that is, is that the frogs, they are constantly croaking, they're constantly making the noises, and the birds that are flying above, if they want to know where water is, so they just follow the noise, because they know wherever the frog is, that's where the water is, and that's where the drinking water is. So the the frog is known as tzipodea. The frog, it gives the knowledge to the birds to know where to drink. Now what's this so interesting about the, the uh, about the birds? We mentioned last week that there are ten mamarot, there are ten sayings that God created the world. Because Paro went and denied the ten sayings, now Paro is going to get the ten makot. So each of the ten sayings corresponds to one of the ten makot. So which, car, which of the sayings correspond to the makot of the frogs? The answer is it's on to uh, ex, uh, Je- I'm sorry, Genesis, Bereshit, chapter 1, verse 20. It says, Vayomer Elohim. And God said, The waters are going to be swarmed with living creatures. And then the pasuk ends, And the, the bird is going to fly over the water. Now I was thinking about this. So look at the correlation. Why is it specifically Tzvaldea came out of the, you know, out of the water? We said because Tzipodea. Now when God created the world, some of these things I'm going to say today, you have to follow along with me a little bit. The, 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 Tzipodea, the frog, which is known as the knowledge of the birds, is also associated in the original, the first, the, when, when God first created the world, the ten sayings, it's referring to over here, first it says about the waters, about the creatures that are going to be in the water, and then in the same things it says a correlation to the birds that are in the sky. So we see over here there's a connection between the birds and between the the fish in the sea, and the, the, the creatures in the sea. So here's the frog, which sort of binds that connection. You have the Tzipodea, the one that brings the connection between the birds and the creatures of the sea. So, According to one opinion, we know that the 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 Saldea is frogs. There's another opinion that says also that it was crocodiles. Right? This is two like it's not like when you say something that is similar. Like frogs and crocodiles, two way different things. You could have a pet frog. I mean, you could have a pet crocodile if you live in Saudi Arabia. But generally speaking, for other people in the in the rest of the world, you don't have these types of pets. So you're talking about two very very different ideas on what this uh, this plague actually uh, actually came out. And when you think about frog, you think about, okay, little cute little, you know, double chin, you know, dude going and, and croaking a little bit. We're soon going to see this is a very, very, very serious makah. 
So we had two opinions. Number one, a crocodile. Number two, a frog. Now, when the frog came out, the so so the opinion is that there was one huge, massive frog. Now, I want you to picture this. Now, you think of a massive frog, you think about like maybe a small puppy-sized frog. You think like this guy is crazy, but think about it like three moose. You know, like two elephant size. I don't know if those are exactly the same. Think about like two elephant size. You know. Like creature that comes up from the you know from the from the Nile. All of a sudden, the Nile. This comes up. This this massive creature that comes out over here. Now, the frog was very interesting. So originally, according to to the majority of opinions, there was one frog. Now this frog came out of the river. Huge, huge, enormous frog, and it started making a a beeline directly for Paro's palace. Now. You see over here all the, and I want you to picture this. The idea, the reason why I want to go through this, is I want to build a picture in your mind. So use your imagination. The so this huge frog comes out, you know, doing its croaking. You know, frogs have a very long tongue. Imagine the distance that this this tongue could actually it actually go. And besides dealing with the size, the noise of this frog, let's also picture the slime because we know that frogs have additional, you know. Okay, so uh, in any case. The frog makes starts starts making its way to the to the palace. Now, the guards see this huge frog. What do they do? Yeah, please, why don't you join us? You know, no. So they start throwing rocks at it. They're trying to scare it, go back away. Nothing is budging it. Until, you know, until somebody came over to it and hit it. Now we all know that a lot of people know the famous you know the, the midrash over here. Every time the frog got hit, it opened its mouth, and more frogs came out. Now, this. I can't explain it. And by the way, the Zohar says that this is not only on the main, main frog, it's also the mammals also brings this down, that it was on all frogs. So when you tried to hit a frog, it would just... Uh, so the first frog, the big frog, its mouth opened up and more frogs jumped out. It's as if he's carrying an army of like frogs in his stomach. And every time someone got him angry, it just like, you know, like here's more frogs. Yeah. Oh, 100%. These are, there's going to be a lot of lessons that we're going to learn from here. Yeah. So, so Paul goes, I am sorry, the soldiers go and they start hitting the frog. Every time he gets hit, more frogs come out. Now, with the other frogs, as are, and the mammals brings it down, that the frog, when they kill the frog, the stomach would burst open and a bunch of other frogs would jump out. Now, I don't know if anybody ever witnessed this. I remember this one time I was on, you know, I was in I was in Israel with my family, and we went up north for like a day or two. And we rented a, like a, a little house, you know, for like a day or two. And this house, let's just say that, you know, it looked like not only was built pre-war, but nothing has changed. No one has swept or anything since pre-war. Now, so we, we had, you know, our beds over there. And when I got over there, this is Israel up north, whoever has, you know, I'm, I'm talking about maybe 20 years ago. So there was in my, I was supposed to sleep in a certain place. And in that place, there was a, a nice size spider. Now, um, so I see the spider. Um, you get to Israel back then, you know, you're realizing you're dealing with the wild animals, especially up north. So I'm like, okay, let's throw the spider off and, you know, we'll deal with it afterwards. So I got this some sort of like broom and I, and I sort of like tried to like move the spider off. The second the spider moved, there was, and I kid you not, maybe 
a hundred little spiders that just came from under it. I don't know if the spider just gave birth. I don't know if the spider's warm. I, I don't know. I, you know, I didn't study spiders to know what was going on over there. But all I knew is I was like, okay, I'm going to move the spider and then, you know, we'll deal with it. I moved the spider. A thousand, you know, you know, little spiders just like sprang out. And I was like, nope. I just left it, <laughs> and uh, I, I just remember I slept on a towel somewhere else. You know, it was, it was you know, ridiculous. But you think about it, what's more scary? One spider, even though it's bigger, or 75 or 100 little babies looking for their mama? You know, like, I ventured to say, you know, like, I don't, no thank you. You know, like, I dealt with it, I slept in a towel, it was... It, it's a learning experience, is all I can tell you. But in any case, so this is what happened with the frogs. Every time they killed a frog the more frogs came out. So, yeah, anger in general doesn't solve anything. When somebody's angry and they and they get into a conversation, you know that nothing good will ever come out of it. So, imagine when you have the the, you know, the big frog is coming. So, Egyptian goes and hits it. Six frogs jump out. Now the Egyptian gets angry. So what are they going to do? Instead of thinking with their common sense, they hit it again and again and again and again. So the more frogs kept on, you know, you know, spilling out. Now, the the way it worked with the the frogs is that they went in a specific order. It was as if they had directions, ways, you know, GPS, you know, located them exactly where to go and what to do. And the first stop that they went before they touched anything else, they went straight to Paul's palace. They went straight to Paul's palace. And in fact, when they got to Paul's palace, they didn't just stop by the palace. They went specifically to his bedroom and specifically to his bed. So the first person that got afflicted first in this plague is Paul. Now, one of the reasons why he got afflicted first is the first plague blood didn't really affect Paul. So because it didn't affect Paul, Paul got, you know, a little bit uh, haughty. He says, oh, you see, can't affect me. I'm the, you know, I'm the God. You know, and he went on to his, uh, and his tangent on how, how special he is. Now, so, you know, what, what God did is that specifically the first plague, that the first, the first attack that it's going to make the frogs is going to be specifically at Paul in his palace. And where was he? While he was in bed. Now, I want you to picture that. You're in your bed, and you're sleeping in your bed under your covers. Have you ever had it when something just like, like just like, breezes by you, right? And you, first of all, you learn kung fu all of a sudden because your, the your covers go to the other room. Not even that, and you jump there in a stance that you know that only ancient Chinese warriors know. Uh, you you know you, you go to like this this like you know different thing now. This is when you think that's, and what was it? The fan actually moved something else into there. And then, you know, after your heart palpitations go away, you're able to fall back, uh, back asleep. But think about this, Paul. So he's laying in his bed, and the frogs are all of a sudden jumping under his covers. Now, I hope nobody ever woke up with an unwanted animal in their beds. And I'm not talking about you have like a cat, and the cat decided to go into your bed. I'm talking about something that you have never, ever dealt with. Have I ever told you about the squirrel story? No. I've never told you about my squirrel story? Oh, man. Okay. So, I'm going to be here a while, guys. So, um, right when I got married, I was living in an apartment building, and I was living on the fifth floor. And we put an air conditioning on the, you know, in the window, and I just got married. I was very young. I was like, you know what? So, in the air conditioning, there's, there's spaces. What you're supposed to do is supposed to close the spaces. So I, I close the spaces by just like leaning a piece of wood on it, uh, you know, and that's all that it was. It was like the summer, whatever. I just like I leaned a piece of wood on it, and uh, one morning I so 
I have a very high prescription glasses. I don't see well without glasses or contacts. I, I you know, I, I see very, very, very blurry, you know. So the, about like early in the morning, the sun was out, but it was like, like just sunrise in the summer. And suddenly I hear like the board fall down. So I was very tired, you know, okay, fine, you know, I'll deal with it. Okay, the board fell down, I'll deal with it when I wake up. Now I'm twisting and turning and, um, and then I turn over, so I had a nightstand right over here, and, you know, I'm leaning on this side, I'm trying to fall back asleep, I turn over this side, and I'm just like, you know, my eyes are opened, and then I'm just like looking, you know, at my nightstand, which is about a foot and a half away, and then I'm like, you know, and I see, like, something there, and I'm like, what is that, you know, like, I'm like, oh, it's a, and I, and I see this, like, you know, it's like something that I don't know what it is, because I can't see, because I don't have my glasses, so, where's my glasses? Right on the nightstand, so... I, I'm looking at it, and then I'm like, oh, you know, fine, okay, you know, what? and I, like, it just bothered me. So, like, I get my, my, uh, my glasses, I put it on, and then I look at it, still laying down, and I see a squirrel. Now, the squirrel was doing its, you know, its standing thing, where it's, you know, hold, it's like, you know, doing one of these things, like, you know, did I leave my stove on? You know, like, you know, it's like contemplating it. And now, you know when you, like, wake up, and you're, like, not sure what's going on? And in my mind, I'm like, oh, that's not good, you know? And then, like, a split second later, which probably was, like, three seconds later, I'm like, oh, no. And I call my wife. I'm like, get on the bed. Get on the bed. And she's, you know, she wakes up. She jumps. She's like, what am I getting? And she gets up on the bed. I run. I close the door. I don't know what I was thinking. So I locked my wife inside there. Um, I got a broom, and I was just chasing the squirrel around, you know, around the room. And um, I, I even remember... Rodents, a squirrel, uh, these are things, when they get scared, they, um, they remove their bowels. I don't know how to say it nicely. They just, so this squirrel, this squir- I'm, I'm with a broom. I don't know what my plan was, cause like if this squirrel is gonna, I don't know, but I was just like running around, you know, this room with, you know, with a, with a broom, and the squirrel was like running in the corner there. And finally I was able to chase it out, and it just dove straight out the window. Like I don't know what happened to that, to that squirrel, but, if it could survive a five flight, you know, fall, but it just like dove like straight out. Now, when I'm thinking about Paul, when I'm thinking of like he's waking up with frogs, like the squirrel wasn't in my bed, but I was still, I, I remember my wife jumped up. She didn't know what was going on. She's standing on the bed. She's like, what? what's going on? What's going on? And I'm like, there's a squirrel. There's a squirrel in here. She's like, what are you talking about? There's no squirrel in here. And then she saw the squirrel. She's like, there's a squirrel. I'm like, I know there's a squirrel. And I'm like, I'm running around over here. Um, it was a very entertaining fun story after it happened but back then you know i'm like thinking i'm like rabies i'm like do squirrels know how to fight do they bite i don't know they're I'm like i'm going through a million things and anyways i get the squirrel out now imagine what would have ha- this squirrel was like okay so it was like a foot and a half away from me imagine what would have happened if the squirrel was in my bed like not one squirrel but like a bunch of squirrels or like frogs and what do you do when there's like you know, frogs are slimy, you know, they're, they're in your bed. Can you imagine the horror that you have to deal with? So Paro went specific, it went directly into Paro, into his bedroom, into his bed. Now, why, why specifically did it go, uh, you know, in his bedroom? So Paro's grandfather went and made a uh, mannequin sculpture of Sarah Imenu. Sarah was a very beautiful woman, and there was a whole story over there that he wanted to take her, and he didn't take her. But in any case, he made a sort of a life-size, lifelike type of uh, uh, depiction of, of Sarah. And Paro, while even in the, in the plague of blood, Paro entertained himself with this mannequin, you know, per se. Now, 
Because, by the way, you should also know that that Sarah, so Sarah was, you know, Paro made Sarah into a, a mannequin, the same uh, figure, the same uh, face. There was also another woman in, his, in Jewish history that was made into a mannequin. Does anybody know who this was? Estelle. Estelle, yeah, yeah. It's, I, I, I learned this only recently. I didn't. Was, I found this very fascinating. Estelle, Achashverosh also made for her a, a mannequin. And there's interesting. There is anybody know the correlation between Sarah and Estelle? 127, yeah, so there's some sort of correlation of this. Sarah was the most very beautiful, you know, Esther was very beautiful, and they both were made into a mannequin, both by the leaders. Very, very interesting, uh, you know, correlation. But in any case, Paro was in his bedroom. No, no, oh, I'm sorry, 127. Sarah, li- Sarah lived until 127, and because of that, Estelle um, had 127 provinces under Achashverosh. Which was under Achashverosh. Yeah, I'm sorry, I, should, I probably should have explained that. So, um, okay, so now... Did I make a Bahamas? Did I drink this already? Okay. I'm in a different world. Okay. So now, the, so this is why Paro was, was attacked first. After, after it attacked Paro, then it went out to the rest of the, it actually went in order. First it went to the servants, and then it went to the regular, to the servants Paro, and then it went to the regular, um, to the regular people. Paro entertained himself in the bedroom with with during the first blood, so everything went directly. Where you know you oh you think that you're so holy, you're so you're you're like a deity. You have this sort of powers. You're gonna get hit in the most vulnerable place in the most vulnerable time when you think nobody else is watching. And that in that type of manner. So the, the there were wealthy people that they heard about the plague of frogs. They heard that the frogs were coming, so they had marble palaces and they they. They closed up with marble there, you know, anywhere so that the frogs shouldn't come in. So you think that it would be, that it would be safe, but the frogs had some sort of like, like crazy strong power that they were able to, first of all, they burrowed under the ground. And they came in from like, you know, from like, uh, imagine you're sitting over there, like, can't be scared of frogs, but like, imagine frogs all of a sudden become like crazy. Then you all of a sudden become scared of frogs. Like these frogs were like banging on the floors from under it and they actually broke open the floors. They broke open into the people's houses. Wherever they barricaded themselves in, nothing helped. The frogs were like, just like bolted in and were able to destroy anything and everything to get to where they needed to get to. Even furthermore, the Sefer Yashal says that the sweat of the Egyptians, the, 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 the liquid turned into, into frogs as well. So like there were frogs that were created by the thousands. Frogs were constantly, it wasn't a plague that just like started, it was like constantly, frogs were constantly being reproduced. The, why frogs? Oh no, so it's not random. It seems, uh, let's stay tuned. Okay, so the, even, even if like, you know, it was so infested that they stepped on frogs. And even the stepping on the frogs, the slimy, they fell and they injured themselves. The frogs now were not afraid. Usually, you know, animals stay away from humans. Generally, most animals. The frogs jumped on. They they invaded all private spaces of the human body. They even dug into their armpits, into you know, into that. Specifically, it says armpits. That's why I'm bringing that. But it really was. It was in all. It was all areas. The the frogs also. They they destroyed the land. Also, they destroyed the trees. They also affected the animals as as well. Now. I want you to picture this, and I hope this is not going to scar you, but imagine, um, you know, so frogs are going everywhere. So the Egyptian was sitting in the bathroom on the toilet. And um, I know some people have a fear of this, that something is going to come up from the toilet, and, you know, especially if you're in some... So uh, in any case, so the Egyptian is sitting on the toilet. The frogs came from all directions. Now, when they came from all directions, I'm trying to say it as clean as possible. When, they, when, they, when the frogs came in from all directions... They didn't, um, any orifices of the human body, they were able to enter. 
So um, the frogs, um, you know. Okay. All right. So okay. Good. So it's getting uncomfortable for me. I'm like, how do I? Say? Okay. Fine. So good. So now, not only were they now now the frogs were inside them. Now, not only when they were in, besides inside them, outside them, they also castrated them. They, they, they made it that the men and the women could not have any more children. Not everybody, I'm saying, but a large percentage of them couldn't have any more children. Why measure for measure? Because they didn't allow the Jewish people, they tried to prevent the Jewish people from having, from having children. Now, if they were about to take a drink, they were all of a sudden they took a drink, the frog was infested with, the, the water was infested with frogs. The, so, and, and if they, you know, if they drank it, the frogs went down all angles. Okay, so now the now let's say the frog was inside them and it died. The smell also came out. I mean, the frog stayed, but the smell came out how, from. How long was like each plague? Like? This plague was a week. Each plague was a week long. We're going according to that opinion. There's a, there's actually a machloket. It was either a week long, and three weeks of warning, or three week plague, or one week of warning. So. So in any case, let's say that the, uh, the Egyptians cooked a dish, the frogs jumped into the, the cooked dish. And so even in the royal, even in, in like Powell's Palace, they, they took out a loaf of bread and they wanted to slice it. They sliced it and they, they saw the frog, they sliced the frog as well. So needless to say, they usually lost their appetite. But anything they ate or drank tasted frog. I don't know if you have, you should not have ever eaten frog. Um, and I hope that you'll never ever eat frog. Um, but uh, the... I can't imagine it tastes good. Uh, so in any case, everything tasted of frog. Now, when they went and they cooked things in the ovens, the, there's a miracle that happened that the frogs actually jumped into the ovens as well. They jumped into the ovens. They ruined the entire uh, the entire food that was cooked. They jumped into the dough. And when the Egyptians ate, there was something very mir- a miraculous thing that happened. That the frogs, when they jumped into the ovens, into the cooked you know food, they died. But when the Egyptian ate the you know everything they needed to eat, they needed to survive. When they got to the bellies, triatametim happened, and the frogs came back to life. Now, this the the tzfaldeah. We said that that uh, We said one interpretation is tzipoldeah, the knowledge of the birds. But tzfaldeah is also tzfal, which is like the morning da, the the knowledge, meaning that the frog knew the knowledge of the morning. It says uh, I believe this is uh, Rabbi Victor Miller brings it down that the frogs had there were two types of frogs that came, one of them that croaked all night, and another ones that croaked all day. So meaning that they had, it was around the clock noise of the frogs. And the noise was so bad, the noise was so, and by the way, the noise was, let's call it external to the human body and internal to the human body. So the noise came from everywhere. And I'm like picturing it, if like if they opened their mouth, would it be louder? You know, like, and then all of a sudden they closed it and they like stopped. You know, I don't know, use your imagination. But in any case, the... The noise was so loud and painful. In fact, the, you know, the, uh, the Midrashim brings down that the noise was more painful than the actual frogs. Now, when the frogs were inside them, they weren't just like, you know, relaxing, you know, sitting in the, you know, you have like, you know, the babies enjoy the mother's womb. It wasn't like they were like, oh, look at this. Let's, you know, like do laps in the water over here. They were biting them. They were hurting them. But the noise that was coming out was more painful. The way that I see it is psychologically. Like, if God forbid somebody knows that there's an animal inside them, and they, if they just feel something that's painful, but if they hear it, psychologically that would do so much more damage. Like imagine what they would do. Like they, you know, you know, you have like when when a woman is pregnant, and sometimes when the baby moves, you actually see like the form of the baby. So imagine that for the frog. Like suddenly the frog's like, oh look at this, you know, a Roger is here, you know, like a name that you know, like 
Is it Roger the Rabbit? No, whatever it was. Okay, I don't know. It's been a while since Sesame Street. So, so uh, yeah, yeah, they went crazy. Some of them actually died. Yeah. The, the noise was, was, was excruciating. They couldn't hear, they couldn't speak to each other. They couldn't sleep because in the daytime, there was a daytime frog. In the nighttime, there was a nighttime frog. So it was all the time, nonstop croaking. You could go crazy from it. And in fact, they did go crazy from it. The, there was also a border dispute. So attached to Egypt is a, a land called Kush. And uh, I saw different, you know, it, according to the modern day, if it is translated either as Ethiopia, which is a common translation, but I also heard a translation as Sudan. So if you could look, if you look at a map, so you have Egypt, and then you have Sudan, and then you have Ethiopia. So I don't know if it was back then, you know, Egypt was larger and it was attached to Ethiopia. I don't know the borders were, you know, back then, but it was, there was a border dispute. Where does Egypt end and where does Kush begin? So what, what happened was with the frog, the Pasuk says in Shemot and Exodus, chapter 7, verse 27, Anochi no gef et kol gvulecha. God said, I'm going to smite your entire borders, meaning that your entire borders are going to be filled with frog. So with their border dispute, all of a sudden there was no dispute anymore because everywhere that there was, Egypt was filled with frogs. The line directly over there where it was kush, no, no frogs. So the, the, it was very easily discernible where was, where was Egypt and where was Kush. Now, the Egyptians, they were able to, and we're soon going to see, they were able to manipulate it and through magic and also bring out frogs. Now, because there was a border dispute and because the Egyptians wanted to claim more land, they tried to get their frogs that they conjured up from their magic to go further out into the, into the Kush land, but God didn't allow it. So even their, their frogs that they were able to bring out from magic was also stuck in the borders of, of Egypt. With the frogs, there, there came, a, you know, the frogs' cousins and distant relatives, like snakes and uh, crocodiles, even according to not the other opinion that it wasn't crocodiles. You also have to realize where these all, you know, these, uh, the crocodiles, for example, they came from the Nile. Now, the Nile doesn't have any more fish because all the fish died. So the crocodiles were hungry and they came out, so they feasted, uh, you know, as, as well. Use your imagination for that. So now, let's go through a few things about measure for measure. Why frogs? What's the whole idea with frogs? Also, like, sorry. Um, like, I was thinking, we have had many, like, people torture us. Like, why, like, specifically, Mitzrayim? Like, there were many, like, others who... Like, this, was, this was the first time that God basically introduced himself to the world in a public forum. So, and this is where the, we got the Torah. We got, you know, so there was, there was a reason why the, the exodus of Egypt comes above, is why we mention it every single day. We're constantly mentioning it. Because this has a much bigger, um, implication more than other, uh, more than other, uh, you know, salvations. Also, there were miracles that never happened, you know, like since then hasn't, hasn't happened. Uh, the time of Mashiach, we'll see even greater. But, the measure for measure. Why did the Egyptians get plagued, get punished with frogs? So number one, the Egyptians uh, prevented the Jewish people from praying. So because they prevented the sounds of prayer from, from the Jewish people, so measure for measure now, they're not going to be able to hear anything because now the sounds of the, of the croaks of the frogs are going to be constantly croaking. Number two is that they robbed the Jewish people of their sleep. They woke them up in the break of dawn and they would drag them out to work. Says, oh, you don't let the Jewish people sleep? No, you're not going to sleep. 
There was also, they didn't allow the Jewish people to go, they didn't give them the time to go to the bathroom. So, because they didn't allow them to go to the bathroom, now when they went into the bathroom, they had extra visitors. Um, let's just leave it at that. That went in and out of their intestine. I'm sorry, I had to put that in. Okay, so now, the, another reason is that they used to make, the Egyptians used to make sport with the Jewish people, that they would make them go and catch these repulsive reptiles and these uh, insects and rodents for just for a sport. Go catch me 14 rats. Imagine what you have to go, go into the New York subway, you know, like whatever. So, so, so I think that's where the origin of rats are. So the, you know, the, the idea of, of them being, being forced to go and catch these, these animals. So measure for measure, now these types of, of repulsive rodents are now going to come into, into their life. Also, the measure for measures, a lot of measure for measures. Also, the, the Egyptians made the Jewish people eat bread with filthy hands. They didn't want to, they wouldn't allow them to wash their hands, they wouldn't allow them to clean their hands. So measure for measure, they went and they had to eat their bread, their bread that was contaminated with frogs. Everything was contaminated with frogs. Also, the Egyptians, uh, the, I mean, the frogs are coming in as a measure for measure for the Jewish mothers that constantly screamed when they had their children torn away from them and thrown into the Nile River. So the sounds of the frogs actually resembled the the screaming of the little babies. The from the other from the other end of the spectrum, the Jewish mothers were not able when the when Jewish mothers gave birth, they had to suppress their cries and their screams because if they would scream, the Egyptians would find out that they're screaming. They find out that they're giving birth. If they find out they're giving birth, they're going to go and say, "Oh, is it a boy? Or is it a girl? If it's a boy, we got to throw it into the Nile." So the mothers had to suppress their screams from from giving birth. And now it's very difficult when you're in excruciating pain. The screaming it just sometimes comes out or helps, you know, for you know psychologically. So because they had to suppress the screams, now they're going to get the screams coming from a different angle coming from the frogs. Another reason is that the infants the, the, of the Egyptians, they would go and they would make the... What happened was is that the Jewish mothers gave birth. And when the Jewish mothers gave birth, the Egyptians would sometimes come to a random inspection. Let's see if you have any children hiding in your houses. Now, the children would be hidden. And it, when a child hears another child scream, the child itself starts screaming and crying. So the Egyptian, in their own twisted way, they took their own children... And they brought them into the Jewish people's houses. And then they pinched their own children to make them cry so that they would be able to, you know, invoke the crying of the other Jewish children so they'd be able to find them. So now measure for measure is not only for the Jewish side, also because what you did for your own children, the cries that you made your own children do, now you're going to hear the cries and screams of the frogs and, uh, and you know, of the noise of the croaking. The Rabbi Victor Miller goes and says something fascinating. He said the Egyptians back then, they all knew that they threw the Jewish babies into the water. When the frogs came out, they saw it as a reincarnation of the babies that they threw in. So they were very scared of the frogs. You know, like some Russians are very scared of black cats, right? So, you know, like they're, they're extra scared of like the regular animals that are not scared because of some mystical, you know, fake reason could be black cats, yeah. So the Egyptians, when they saw the babies come out, first of all, the croaking sounded like cries. So the Egyptians came, the, the frogs came out, the Egyptians saw that this is a reincarnation of the babies that they threw in, and the babies now coming take revenge. Now imagine you're putting all that psychological and, you know, warfare in your mind amongst, you know, dealing with a non-stop croaking and, and uh, you know, hundreds of frogs, thousands of frogs that are in your home. The final reason is, not final reason, I'm sorry. I was joking. Um, the, the, the one of the final reasons, the cries and the screams of the Jewish workers while they're being beaten and worked to death in, the, in their labor camps now is going to be coming back as the frogs are going to be crying and screaming and croaking nonstop. 
the Egyptians also used to make the Jews carry all their merchandise. So now the Egyptians are going to be carrying constantly the frogs for the for the week of the plague. The 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 smell also of the frogs was was disgusting, and the Egyptians would always consider the Jewish people disgusting. Even the smell, they, like they consider the Jew, it's like oh, you consider the Jewish people disgusting? They can't even smell the Jewish people. Now you're going to dealing with smelling with the with the frogs. Last week we were speaking about. Um, the, the plague of water, and somebody mentioned, which turned into blood, somebody mentioned that water is correlated to the Torah. I don't remember, I don't know if the person's here or not, but the, the, the Torah is compared to water. Water is the lifeblood of man, so too the, the Torah is the lifeblood of a Jew. Now, Paro, what he did was he extinguished the sound of Torah. Nobody was able to learn because they were constantly working. Furthermore, he wanted to go and exterminate the Jews. He wanted to, to exterminate the Jews who are destined to accept the Torah. So therefore, because he went against the Jews who represented the Torah, he got two plagues that are, that are measure for measure the, on, from the water. Now, the question is asked, why is, why is Torah considered water? What does Torah and water have to do with each other? So number one, the if somebody goes to his friend's house, they're not ashamed to ask, can I have a glass of water? Can I have a cup of water? Because water is free, water is free. And in fact, if somebody goes and refuses to give somebody water, there's no one more stingier than that. that then you really refuse to give someone So too with the knowledge of Torah. The Torah, first of all, number one, is so no one, just like no one should be ashamed to ask for water, no one should be ashamed to ask to, to, to learn Torah. Number two, if somebody has the knowledge of Torah, he has an obligation to go and teach other people, you know, about Torah, about the, you know, the, the understanding of Torah. Just like water is a free substance and is the most commonly available substance in the world, so even your body is mostly water. So to Torah, if you have it, you have to be able, you have to, you have to share it. Now the Yalkochimoni in Tehilim goes and brings down that when Parom, when, when David Amelach finishes Sefer Tehilim, he goes over to God and says, uh, you know, did anybody ever give you as much praise as I have in the Tehilim. And a frog stepped forward, and a frog said, yeah, I did. And the, the Midrash brings down there a few reasons. We're going to just go, go deal with one. The frog said that frog said that I speak more praises than David. Now, what, what, what does it mean that the frog speaks more praises than, than David? So the Mabit goes on Perak Shirah and says that there were four living creatures, four categories, better yet, of living creatures that were involved in the Makot. Number one, we had the lice. Number two, what? Dogs too. They were, they were not involved in the actual makkah, in the ten plagues. That was afterwards. So number one, the lice. Number two, the ma'bit categorized the wild animals as one category, the wild animals. Number three, the locusts. And number four, the frogs. But the frogs, there was something very different about the frogs. The frogs, it says in Exodus chapter 8, verse 2, and the frog, you know, ascended. It came up. What does it mean that it ascended? The frogs left their natural habitat. We know in the plagues of, let's say, the wild animals, their natural habitat came with them. And we'll see when we speak about that, they felt very comfortable in the natural habitat. An animal is very comfortable in its natural habitat. If it's not in its natural habitat, it doesn't attack, it doesn't, it, it's, it, it, it's very uncertain, it's very, you know, it's more scared. The frogs left their, their natural habitat. Their natural habitat didn't turn into Egypt, but rather they went and they completely you know, felt comfortable with attacking the Egyptians and doing whatever they needed to do. It says the Ma'bid, it goes on further and says, not only did they raise themselves in the physical sense, that they went from the natural to unnatural state, they also raised themselves in a spiritual state that they were willing to fulfill the will of God. Anything that God wanted, to the extent that they, even if God wanted them to sacrifice themselves and jump into the oven, they went and they sacrificed themselves. That's why if anybody ever read Pelek Shira, the Tzvadea, what does the Tzvadea say? The tzvadea, it says in Pelek Shira, Tzvadea Omeot, the Tzvadea, the frog says, Baruch Shem Kavod a very fascinating pasuk. We know that this is, we only say it one time out loud. You know, and that's on Yom Kippur. Yeah, yeah, on Yom Kippur, we only say it out loud. 
But says Rav Klonimus, he has a you know a sefer called the Igeras Balechayim. He says, what does it mean, Le'olam Ve'ed? So oh, let's do the trend. Ba'uch Shem Kavod Machto Olam Ve'ed means that you're praising God forever. What is the forever, says, says Rav Klonimus. So he goes and he says that the frog is known as the greatest that gives, uh, that gives praises. Rav HaTishpachot. One that gives the greatest praises. Now why? Two reasons. Number one, because when Avram Avinu was thrown into the furnace, he, you know, by, by Nimrod, Anybody, people, you guys are familiar with the story, right? Yeah, just nod your head and blank lately. Yeah, okay, fine. Um, so we'll, we'll speak about it, you know, maybe a little bit later if we have time. But when Avram Avinu was thrown into the furnace, a, a frog jumped in there and extinguished the flame for him. Because the frog extinguished the flame for him, this is what he's known as, as Rav The second incident is by the, the Makah frogs. The Makah frogs, the frogs sacrificed themselves, volunteered to die on, to, to sa- sanctify God's name. Now, there's, first of all, this is also, there's, there's a, um, Rav Klonimus learns from here that the frog is constantly croaking. They're constantly praying to God. They're constantly praising God. This is why he says that the frogs are even greater than David Amel because they're constantly praising God. The lesson that we learn from here is just like a frog croaks nonstop day and night, so too we have to, we have to learn Torah. Why Torah? We mentioned before because Torah comes from water. Frogs come from water. Right? We said why is, we, we don't have to do the whole circle, right? You guys are following with me so far? So because the frogs come from water and the water is dealing with the Torah and the Torah has to be dealt nonstop, so too the frogs croak nonstop. The, when the, and even, even to the extent that we know that if the Torah is not being learnt, one minute in the world, the world gets destroyed. So the Torah has to be constant. There has to be a constant of learning of, uh, you know, of Torah. This is also same, same, similar to the constant croaking of the, of the frogs. Now the Egyptians, when they went and they got attacked by the frogs, they went and they screamed at all of their gods. Uh, give me a second because I might answer, most likely I'll probably answer you. The, the Egyptians went and they went to all their gods. Now, Every time, every plague, they constantly tried to go to their gods. They challenged you, and nothing helped. Nothing made any different whatsoever. It weakened their, the, you know, their understanding of, of, of God. Now, Paul is standing, sitting in his throne, and he's sitting over there. And by the way, the, it was a miracle that happened that Paul, the frogs were, were inside Paul as well. Paul was able to understand what they were saying. And one, one frog was saying to another frog, until when we're gonna have to stay in his body? So the frogs answered back, until Moshe, the son of Amram, Praise for our release. This is what Paul is, is, is hearing coming from inside his stomach. So imagine, like, not only... First of all, you think you're hallucinating. You're right, because you have frogs inside of you that are croaking. And all of a sudden, you're understanding it, and you're talking, you know, like... And so Paul is going out of his out of his mind. He feels that he finally has to act on something. So he goes, and he calls... Who does he call? His magicians. He doesn't call Moshe. He calls his magicians. And he tells him... He says, look how stubborn Paul was. He goes, calls the magician, and says, Can you replicate this, Mecca? Are you able to go and conjure through your magic more, more frogs? And they were able to, through their, their use of demons, they were able to bring more frogs into, in, into, uh, you know, into, into Paro. So, Paro said, you see over here, Moshe and Aaron, they're just good magicians. They're just really good magicians at who they are. So, Paro goes over to his magician and says, okay, fine, you are able to bring them up. Now, use your magic to remove the frogs. Go, just like you brought it, let, let them go. But as much as they tried, the magicians were not able to remove the, the frogs. So finally, frustrated by, his, uh, by the failure of these magicians, and he was scared that also of the endangerment to his life, because there's only a certain amount of time where you have frogs living inside of you, that you're going to go to the urgent care and be like, okay, listen, I got a problem, you know, can you deal with this? So, Paul finally summoned Moshe. And we should, by the way, you should know that the plague of the blood, Paul never summoned Moshe. But the, by, the, by the frogs, he calls Moshe Rabbeinu. The, in fact, the word Sfardeh appears ten times, 
in the in the in the Torah regarding the Makkah, showing you that the Makkah of Tzadeh was equal to the ten plagues altogether. The the frog plague was so bad that it was it was so excruciating that Paro had to actually beg Moshe Rabbeinu. In fact, he comes, Moshe Rabbeinu comes, and he says, "Please, I beg of you, pray to your God that you could go and remove these frogs. And if you do it, says Paro, I will send you out of your nation. You got to go sacrifice to your God." So. Moshe Rabbeinu says, alright, I'll pray to my God, I'll pray to, you know, to the God, but I'll do you one, one further. He says, you could test me. Tell me when you want it to be removed, so that you will know the greatness of God. Whenever you say you want me to remove the plagues, that's when I'll remove it. So Paul was thinking, first of all, he's suffering. So somebody's suffering, when you say, hey listen, you know, you're suffering tremendous pain, do you want to take the Percocet now, or do you want to take it tomorrow? Any normal person would say, you know, let me take it right now to get rid of the pain. But Paro was so arrogant. He says, you know what? This was his thought process. He says, Moshe Rabbeinu is coming over to me right now. He's playing mind games with me. He's coming over to me and he says, hey, listen, I can remove this whenever you want. Because he thinks that I'm going to say remove it right now. He says, ah. But I, he, Paro was a magician himself. And the way it works with magic, magic works from noon to midnight. That's when you can be able to do magic. So Paro tells him, he says, I want you to remove it tomorrow morning. He wanted to, his pain was, didn't matter to him so much that his stubbornness, he says, you know what, I'll wait, I'll suffer another day in pain, remove it tomorrow morning when you're not able to, uh, you know, when you, when magic doesn't have any, any power. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, you got it, tomorrow morning it is. Moshe Rabbeinu leaves Paro's palace, and it says, Imam Laws actually brings down over here, in Exodus chapter 8 verse 8, it says, Vayitzak Moshe el Hashem. And Moshe cried to Hashem. Says the Mamlois, why did Moshe cry? All the plagues, it doesn't say that he screamed out and he cried to Hashem. Only the plague of the frogs. Why is it that Moshe cried and screamed out to Hashem only in the plague of the, plague of the frogs and not in any other plague? Says the Mamlois, brings down, he says, because Moshe Rabbeinu had a personal stake in this. He put his name on the line over here and he put God's name on the line. He said, Moshe Rabbeinu says, you know what, test me. Whenever you want, that's when I'll be able to do it. So all of a sudden, Moshe had a, a personal stake over here, and Moshe had wanted to also go and show God, you know, show the power of God. So Moshe goes and cream, screams and cries out to God, please, for your sake, please go and please bring it, to, take it out tomorrow morning, so Paul will know your power. And that's what uh, that's what, what happened. The Chafetz Chaim brings down, and he says, says it's very interesting. He brings down another story where there was a plague, a plague with the Jewish people in Bamidbar, chapter twenty-one, verse uh, four, verse nine. There was a plague where the Jewish people go and they complained to God and they complained to Moshe. They spoke against God and against Moshe Rabbeinu. They said, why do you take us out of Egypt? And they spoke bad against him. So God sent a plague, a plague of like fiery serpents. A bunch of, you know, and we, we know the famous story that the way, what happened was is that Moshe prayed to God and God says, okay, fine. If someone got bitten by a snake, there's a pole with a, with a, with a copper snake. If someone looks at the copper snake, then they're going to be able to be, uh, you know, they're going to be able to be healed. Ask the Chafetz Chaim. So ask a very, very, you know, obvious question. He says, how come with the plague of frogs, Moshe Rabbeinu cried and screamed out to God, he prayed, he was answered. The next day, exactly when Paolo said, the, all the frogs, you know, either died or went back to the river. But when the Moshe Rabbeinu prayed and cried to God for the plague against the Jewish people, not, the, the plague didn't stop right away. Not only that, it was a very complicated process. You have to go make a copper snake, and then you have to look at the copper snake. Why is it when the Egyptians prayed, answered immediately, all gone, the plague? But when the Jewish people had the, the suffering of the plague, they had to go through this complicated process. Huh? They complained, that's why. Oh, so, like really bad. so, right, there you go. So Chafetz Chaim goes and says, he takes it a step further, not just to complain, 
when somebody, when, when the Jewish people spoke against God, against Moshe Rabbeinu, they spoke Lashon Ara, he says, when they spoke Lashon Ara against, that's how difficult and how, how severe the serious consequence of Lashon Ara is. That even Paro, with all the sins that he did, all he needed was the prayers of Moshe Rabbeinu, and, you know, the, the contrition that he would, you know, brought through, the plague went away. But for the Jewish people, the prayer was not enough, because the sin was so severe. The sin of Lashon Ara is, is so severe. So in any case, going back to our story, Moshe Rabbeinu goes and says, and tells Paro, the plague will be finished tomorrow, exactly when you say, but the frogs will remain in the water. There's a certain amount of frogs that remain in water. So the question is asked, why specifically the frogs have to go back to the water? So one answer is, is that if the frogs would all instantly die or perish, then Paro or the Egyptians would say, you know what? He says, the, the, the Nile, the god of the Nile is so strong that he evicted all the frogs from his, uh, you know, from his, from his, uh, from his essence, from the Nile. So because of that, because that they shouldn't say, oh, that the plague of the frogs, I mean, the Nile has so much power, then the frogs came back into the Nile, so that the Nile has absolutely no power whatsoever. Additionally, an answer that, you know, is, is very entertaining, uh, in a certain way. Are you guys familiar with PTSD? Post-traumatic stress disorder? Let's say somebody suffered very traumatically from frogs. What is he going to do the next time that he sees a frog? Flashback. Flashback. It's just like war. Yeah, people are... Very triggered. Exactly. So the frogs, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu said specifically, the frogs are going to go back into the water. And Moshe Rabbeinu said by the the plague of the frogs, that to Paro, here in this plague, you're going to appreciate the oneness of God. Why specifically here he said you're going to appreciate the oneness of God? Because the the frog came, went back into the Niles. We know that Paro had his one-on-one session with the Nile every morning. And now, Paro is going to want to go back to the Nile to do his, you know, situations. And he goes into the Nile, he's going to hear one ribbit, he's going to run the other way. He's going to, one croak, he's going to be like, I'm out of here, forget about it, right? He's going to take his Xanax, he's going to take all his medications, uh, which didn't exist yet, so he's going to be suffering, and you know, with, without anything. It's going to cause him, you know, his post-traumatic stress disorder. So you know what it says over here, it's Fardea. The knowledge of the morning. What is the knowledge of the morning that's fadea that the frogs are going to be? The frogs are going to expose Paro for who he really is. You're just a regular person. And Paro is going to have to really build bathrooms in his, in his palace. Why? Because it's fadea, the frogs, which is known as the, the, the knowledge of their morning, are going to expose the real true knowledge of what Paro did every single morning. So because of that, the, the Moshe Rabbeinu says the Nile the, you know, the is going to be filled with frogs. So now Paro is going to really appreciate the oneness of God. Paro cannot claim that he's God anymore because now that he's too scared to even to go to, into, you know, into the Nile. Rabbi Yitzhak Zilberstein goes and says there's another reason. He says, you know, he quotes Lakute An Cheshem that a father goes and hits his son with a stick. This is obviously when this was allowed, and you know, uh, parents are allowed to educate their children. So um, they, you know, parent, you know, a father hit his son with. I'm not saying that you should hit your son with a stick. Okay, uh, getting into a hole over here. So in any case, Rabbi Zilberstein brings this down. Okay, that he, the father hit his son with a stick because the son did something really, really bad. Now what the father did is he took the stick and he put it on display. So every time the son sees this stick, he's going to remember what he did. He's going to make sure he's going to never do it again. God wanted to make sure that the Paro and all the Egyptians remember what happened. Don't forget the lesson that you learned with the plagues. So the, the plague of the frogs, they're going to go back into the river. So you always remember exactly what happened in the plague of the frogs. This way it's going to prevent them from going and denying God again. And there's a lesson for us also. If God forbid, you know, any one of us get afflicted or, or pained with something, 
Remember what God did for you. So you don't have to forget it and God has to remind you again. That's the last thing that we want to do is we want to, we want to tell God, we don't need any reminders. We know exactly what we need to do. This is the lesson that we learned from, uh, from, you know, from the frog, that the frog stayed in the, in the Nile River. The, a little bit more and we'll be done. The Paro, what happened was is that Moshe Rabbeinu goes, prays for all the frogs to die as they remove and the plague removes. Do you know, there were, there were a certain amount of, so all the frogs died, except a certain criteria of frogs that died, that did not die. Those, the frogs that jumped into the oven and they sacrificed themselves, they're the ones that lived, we said that they came back to life, they're the ones that lived and they're the ones that went back into the Nile. Also the ones that went into the people's stomach. Now the question is asked, why were they rewarded for it? And the Midrash brings, oh you know what was their reward? Because they went and they sacrificed themselves for God, so measure for measure now God is going to go and going to allow them to live. Now there's two questions that is asking this. Number one, so what are you giving frogs reward? They're commanded by God to do something. If they're commanded by God to go and jump into the furnace, jump into the oven, they have to jump into the oven. There's nothing else that they could do other than jump into the oven. Where else could they have gone? Number two, another question is, page 53b goes and says that a thousand years later, there was a ruler, a Babylonian emperor by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, he made a statue of himself and he commanded all his subjects to go and bow down to his statue. The, the, the Jews, there were three righteous Jews. Did it right this time. There were three righteous Jews that, that Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they went and they refused to bow down to it. And the emperor gave them an ultimatum. He says, hey listen, either you bow down to my statue, or you get thrown into the furnace, you get thrown into the fire. So Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they made a kalvachomel. Yeah, a kalvachomel is, is like, if let's say I tell you that I could lift, 50 pounds. Would you, and then there's a question that is asked to you, do you think that I could lift 25 pounds? Now, if I could lift 50 pounds, certainly I could lift 25 pounds. That's what a kalvachomer is. So that, so, Hanani Mishal and Azai did a kalvachomer from where? From the frogs. If the frogs are going, and they're not commanded to sanctify God, they're not commanded to sanctify God's name, they went and they, ju- and they're not getting reward for what they did. They don't go into, into, you know, Olam Abad, they're not getting reward. So if they went and they jumped into the furnace, and they jumped into the ovens to sanctify God's name, because if, if they wouldn't have uh, jumped into the oven, then the, the, the entire plague wouldn't have been complete. So because they went and they sanctified God's name, so certainly us, Hananiah, Mishael, and Isaiah, who is commanded to sanctify God's name, who has, will get reward if we command, if we sanctify God's name, so certainly us, we we should, all, we should also go into the fire to glorify the name of God. The question though that is asked is like, how do you compare yourself to a frog? Frog have no choice. How are they being rewarded for what they just did what they did? So Rabbi Shimon Schwab goes and answers like this. He says that the, when Hananiah, Mishael, and Isaiah, when the three righteous men, they jumped into the fire, they didn't need to jump into the fire. Because the, the toast was over there brings down that halakhically, they, they didn't need to, you know, to, to kill themselves. Why? Because the statue that Nebuchadnezzar made was not really an idol. It was just something to honor himself. It was a statue of himself. So they went above and beyond their limits of what they needed to do. Because of the frogs, they also went above and beyond their limits. Now, what did the frogs do above and beyond their limits? The frogs were all, you know, their, their decree was to go, go everywhere. Now, there was a certain group of frogs that every frog could decide, you know, whatever, decide to their own extent of whatever free will they had. They had a little bit of where they wanted to go. The, every frog had an ability to go, I want to go here, I want to go here, and they went wherever they wanted to go. There's a certain group of frogs that said, listen, some of us has to jump into the ovens, because that's part of the decree. He says, who's going to do it? He says, we'll take it upon ourselves. So they went above and beyond their self-sacrifice, what they have to do. So Hananiah, Mishael, and Isaiah went also, and they said, you know what, let us also go above and beyond what we're required to do, and let us glorify God's name. The reason why they wanted to do that is because 
if they would have bowed down to the idol of Nebuchadnezzar, then the you know the entire world would have said you know what the Jews and the non-Jews everyone bowed down to his uh, to his statue. So they wanted to make a statement. The statement was no 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 the Jews do not bow down to this idol. So even though they had the ability to escape and you know not put themselves into a dangerous situation, they learned the lesson from the frogs uh, for the, the way same way the frogs went above and beyond. So to Hanani Mishal Nazai went above and beyond. So now now stay with me because it's going to get. This is what I'm talking about. It's going to get fantastical. So now, there's a debate. There's a debate between Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah about what was the frog. So one, one, one Rabbi Akiva says that there was one frog, and the frog, every time he was hit, more frogs came out. There was, says Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah, he says, no, no, no. He says there wasn't one frog. He says there was originally one frog, but then the frog, when it came out, it let out a huge croak. It let out a large, it sort of called all its family members. All the distant family, and it made such a loud noise that all the frogs, they heard it, and they were like, oh, ribbit, I don't know, whatever they say, croak. And they all came from all over the world, from all over the, the area, they all came to heed the call of the big frog. So, the machloket over here is Rabbi Kiva says, one big frog, every time you hit it, more frogs came out. Rabbi Lezer ben Azariah says it croaked and, and it called other, other frogs to come in. And Rabbi Lezer ben Azariah went and gave criticism to Rabbi Akiva for saying that one frog it was hit and then more came out. So the question is asked, why is he criticizing it? He has your opinion, you have your opinion. What's the difference? So the difference is, is now that we see the, the, the consequences when you're dealing with, with the frogs, learning a lesson from Hanani, Mishal, and Azariah. Now listen to this, it's fascinating. If there was one frog, and the frog that came out was God created this huge, enormous frog just for the plague of frogs. If it came out and, you know, the Egyptians hit it and more frogs came out and these frogs went and jumped into the furnace, so then there's no chidush. There's no, there's no kavachomer because the frogs were created for the plague of the frogs. So they had to do everything. It wasn't that they were like pre-existing frogs. So you can't learn a lesson. Why? Because this frog was created for one purpose, to go and, and go jump into the oven. But if you learn that it was other frogs, regular alive frogs that came from other areas, meaning that they were pre-existing frogs, they were able to go back to their own lives, meaning that they weren't created specifically for this purpose, so then you all of a sudden you could learn the Kalvachom, or all of a sudden you're able to learn and say, okay, listen, just like these frogs, which were alive and well beforehand, gave up their lives for God, so too we, Hanani, Mishal, Nazai, are able to go and give up our lives, because we have the ability to go and live, we're able to learn Torah after this, they're giving up their lives for what? To sanctify God's name. But the only way that this Kalvachom will work is only if you're dealing with the concept that other frogs came in that were that were not that were pre-existing, not that they all came from the plague, makes sense? Okay. If you don't understand it, we're going on anyways because it's late. So this is why it says in the pasuk <coughs> regarding regarding the frogs that you will know ki en ka There is nothing like our God because usually if you take it to a false god, the, the someone sacrifices themselves to a false god. What happens? They die. But that doesn't work the way of God. When you sacrifice for God, when you do something good for God, you never lose out from it. The lesson we see over here from the frogs. The frogs that sacrificed themselves, the frogs that went and jumped into the ovens and were willing to risk their lives to sanctify the names of God, they wanted to do the right thing, they're the only ones that are going to survive. Because if you do what you need to do, if you do the right thing, what the Torah says, you will never, ever, ever lose out from it. The Chidah brings down, and he says that the... the where did the frogs get the, where was the merit that they had? You know, it has to have, everything comes from measure for measure. So where did the Jewish people have the merit that they had that they caused the frogs to jump into the ovens? So the Chidah brings down and says the midwives, when they went and they didn't listen to Paro, Paro tells them, whenever a child is born, if it's a boy, kill it on the spot. Tell them that it was a miscarriage. 
So the midwives did not listen to Paro, and they risked their lives. They risked their lives not to listen to Paro to go and sanctify to make sure that the Jewish people, the Jewish children would live on and sanctify God's name. So says the Chidam, measure for measure, just like the midwives went and they sank and they risked their lives to sanctify God's name. So to measure for measure, the frogs risked their lives, jumped into the furnace to sanctify the names. Now let's take this a little step further. We mentioned earlier that Abraham, when he jumped into the furnace, what saved him? There was a frog that came over here. Now what do we see over here? There's something going on over here. There's a frog by Avraham. There's a frog from Hanani Mishal of Azaya that they learned the lesson from the frogs. There's, a, there's something that's going on up here. This is, by the way, why I came late today. Because I was, I, was, I was working with this. Now listen to this. This is so fascinating. This is something that I still want to look at. I have to learn more about it because it's something so beautiful. Avraham went, risked his life, and uh, what happened with Nimrod? Nimrod goes over to Avraham. Let me give you a brief uh, you know, synopsis of what happened over here. Avraham went, he had a, um, his father had an idol worship store. So he goes over to Avraham and says, listen, I got to go around out on this, whatever it is, take care of the store. So Avraham goes, destroys all the idols, and keeps one idol, the biggest one with an axe in its hand. The, the, his father comes in, and he looks at, at all, the, his entire shop is destroyed. So he goes to Avraham and says, what happened over here? So Avraham says, craziest story just happened over here. So he says, you see that big idol? He came to life, and he destroyed all the other idols, because he's the only idol that you should worship. So Abraham's father says, are you crazy? He says, it's a piece of stone. He says, what are you talking about? It came to life. It can't come to life. How did it destroy all the idols? Who re- what really happened over here? So Abraham said, listen to what your mouth is saying. He's saying, if this is a stone that can't even come to life and protect himself, then why do you worship it? Why do you bow down to it? The word got out of what Abraham did. It came over to Nimrod. Nimrod was the ruler at that time. And Nimrod used to serve, you know, fire idols and, you know, idolatry. One of the, fi- one of the idolatry was fire. And Nimrod was very upset about this. He called Abraham in front of everybody. He says, you're going to go and now you're going to, because of what you did, you deserve a death penalty. But you know what? Go and if you worship one of the idols, he says, then you're going to go and then you'll be free. So, there's a long story of how he went from one idol to another. You know, Abraham said, none of them are going to be good. Finally, Nimrod decided to throw him into the fire. To the fire. Why? Because the fire was the, one of the, uh, Nimrod's main idolatry that he would, that he would worship. So, Abraham went and he got thrown into the fire because he refused to bow down, to, he refused to, to, to uh, serve idolatry in the time of Nimrod. What happened over here? We know, when you do something good, when you go and you have, there's something that you worked on in your life, that has something called the spiritual DNA. It passes on to your children. So if let's say you worked really strongly about something, that power goes on to your children just like genetic DNA goes on to your children. You look similar to your, you know, to your, to your, to your daughter or your son. The same idea, the spiritual qualities also pass down. So Avraham Avinu risked his life to sanctify God's name. Maybe we could say this is a chidush that I'm bringing down, so I, you know, like it's still something I have to go through. What we have over here? We have over here the midwives. The midwives now went and they had in their DNA to sanctify God's name. Why? Because it comes from Abraham. So who are they going to sanctify God's name? And say, oh, listen, how are we going to sanctify? We're not going to go and we're not going to listen to Paro when he tells us to go and kill the Jewish children. We'll put ourselves at risk just like Abraham put themselves at risk. Measure for measure, now that the midwives did it, now the frogs got that, that measure, they, where, this is where they got it from. But let's take it a step further. The Arizal goes and brings down, Nimrod was in the time of Aham, Nebuchadnezzar was in the time of Hanan Mishal Azariah. Says the, says the Arizal, Nebuchadnezzar is a reincarnation of Nimrod. Nebuchadnezzar is a reincarnation from Nimrod. So let's put this all together now over here. Listen to this. So Abraham Avinu went 
and he defied Nimrod to worship his idolatry. So what happened? Measure for measure, we said that the the midwives went and they defied Paul's Paul's uh, you know threat, and they went and they survived the children. Measure for measure, the frogs survived. So the frogs jumped into the furnace. Now that the frogs survived the furnace, where was the lesson that Hanani and Mishael Isaiah learned it from? They learned it from the frogs who got it from the midwives who got it from Abraham Avinu. And who was it all happened? The first and the last all is the same person. The first it started with Nimrod and it ended with Nebuchadnezzar. This is where they learned that they jumped in into the into the front. Nebuchadnezzar was the one who built that idol and told Hanani Mishal of Zayah, go and bow down to it. Even more so, Nimrod built the tower of God. That result brings down that the tower is also represented by the idol that Nebuchadnezzar built. So the tower that Nimrod built is the same, is, is corresponding to the idol that Nebuchadnezzar built. Everything here is all plugging in. If you didn't understand what I just said, I would recommend you to rewind that whatever it was that, you know, minutes that I went through, and listen, because it's so fascinating. I'm sure that there's a lot more to delve into this. It's something that, that is that is uh, that is crazy, it's ridiculous, it's unbelievable. So, the every, we see over here, everything ties in. And this is specifically why, this is all related what to the Torah. And this is all happens where? From the water, because the frogs couldn't, they prevented the Jewish people from, from learn, the, I'm sorry, the power prevented the Jewish people from learning Torah, they wanted to exterminate them from getting the Torah. So too, everything happened with water, with the frogs, to go and correlate, uh, correlate that. The, uh, okay, so now, a few more minutes and we're done. Did I say that already? I was just joking. So, Give me two more minutes, and then, and then, uh, in my two minutes, and then, uh, and then you get the question. Rabbi Chil Spear brings down a story like this, and he says, he brings out that this is a true story. The twenty-third day of May in Elul, in the year five seven seven zero, there was Moshe and Shira Moreno. They were traveling back to their home in Malay Ephraim in Israel, and they were traveling in this dark highway. And while they were driving over there, the person behind them was flashing their lights, you know, bringing the high beams. So he ignored it for a while, but the guy kept on flashing his high beams. So he figured maybe the guy wants to pass him. So Moshe went and he pulled over, uh, uh, you know, a decision that almost cost him his life. The, instead of passing him over, the car behind him also pulled over. And there was a terrorist that got out there, had a gun, and started firing at the car of Moshe and Jira. And they, 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 they fired. Moshe got hit by in his leg, and Shira got injured with glass, uh, you know, I think it hit her face. In any case, the second that they, the, the 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 terrorist was firing at their at their at their car, the second that he stopped, they, he went, ran out of bullets. They had to reload. They realized that now is their chance. So they jumped out of the car and they ran down. It was on like a like a like a slanted cliff. They jumped down. They probably rolled down like seventy five feet. And we got over there. Shira, the wife, somehow miraculously put a hat in her common sense to take herself and with her. So she went quickly, called the police. And while the guy was reloading, they kept on running. While the guy was reloading and looking for them, the police came. They were able to subdue the actual terrorist, and the and and Shira and Moshe was uh, was saved. Six months go by. They go and they uh, oh no, actually before when when they captured when they captured the terrorist and and they and they found Shira and Moshe, they came up you know they come up and the commanding officer goes over to them and says, "How did you call us? How did you get your you know? How did you call us to know that to notify us that there's a terrorist shooting you?" So Shira was like unsure about the question. She's like, what? she held up her cell phone. She's like, what do you mean? I, I called you with my cell phone. And the, the officer says, no, you don't understand. He says, there's no service in here. He says, look at yourself. There's no, in this area, there's absolutely zero cell service. There's no cell towers. There's no way that you were able to make a, you know, to make a phone call. And they didn't know. They didn't know how they were able to have service and how they were able to call the police. Six months go by when Moshe and Shira recuperated and came back to normal. They made a sudat hodaya. They made a meal and they invited the, you know, open to the public to thank God for the miracle that he did that they were able to survive. 
during that meal, one of Moshe's friends stood up and, and wanted to say a few words. And he says, I want to tell you, he says, you know, the, the, the story came out that, you know, how did they make a phone call? There's no way. You go there, there's no cell service. There's no way that they were able to make a phone call. So he says, I think I know why they had cell service. And he says, 10 years ago, Reb Moshe over here, he went and he made an initiative to make sure that when people go into the synagogue, you turn off your cell phone. You don't have any usage of the cell phone completely turned off. And he said that within, within, a, few, within a few months, the, the, the cell phone usage in the shul dropped dramatically. There was like nobody was using cell phones over there. And he says, you know, everybody's wondering, how is it that Moshe had cell service when there is no cell service? He says, you know what, you want to know why? I think this is the reason. He says, because, measure for measure, because just like Moshe, Moshe went and he started his whole initiative to make sure that when, when, uh, when you're going to pray to God, when you're going to the synagogue, there is absolutely no talking on the phone. There is no, you're shutting off the phone completely. So when you made it that when people talk to God, they don't use their phone, when you needed to talk to God, then you have your phone. Measure for measure. This is the this is the the lesson that we learned from the frogs that no matter the the frogs didn't stop they did everything they gave everything up for God the same idea we also have to go and give everything up for God now when the when the frogs finally left the, the they left they didn't necessarily leave only a small percentage of them went back into the Nile a majority of them went and they just died and when they died there was so much frogs that the midrash goes down that it says in every household there was eighteen. 1,900 pounds of frogs in every single household. That's how much... How, and God sped up the decay process. So it's about, you know, whatever. Okay, I'll believe it at that. The, but what happened was, is that now that Moshe, that now that everything was, 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 uh, was given up, and, uh, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu prayed, and what did Paul said? Paul said, I'll let you go. I'll let you go pray to God. But the way that wicked people go is they make a promise when they're in dire need. You know, you have the eight, no atheist in a foxhole. All of a sudden, someone needs God, they pray to God. And say, I promise, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll do this. But when push comes to shove, they don't follow through on their promises. Paro was the same way. All of a sudden, the, the frogs were gone. Paro reneged on his promise. He said that he's going to let the Jewish people go. He did not let the Jewish people go. He made it some, he rationalized. He said, hey, wait a minute. Moshe Rabbeinu said that he's going to remove the frogs. The frogs are still here. They're smelling, they're dead, but they're still here. He says, I don't have to fulfill my promise. The same, the same thing, you know, you know, uh, uh, lesson that we learned from here is, you make a word, you say something, stick to it. Wicked people do not stick to their word. You say you're going to become a better person, become a better person. The, the lesson we learn from the frogs is God deals, and lesson we learn from all the plagues, God deals everything measure for measure. The more that you learn about this, the more that you learn about the plagues, the more that you're going to be able to appreciate what God did and how God, how God functions. We're finished with this. Whoever needs to leave, needs to leave. I have to make a, a, a few short, short announcements, and then I'm going to get to open up the questions. We're gonna get. To, give me, give me two minutes. I have, there's something very important that I really wanted to start off with this, but I didn't because it was it was so late. Now we're coming up to Passover, to Pesach. There, the Rambam brings a halacha that when a person eats and drinks in his house with his own, you know, family, and he doesn't open his house or he doesn't give to the to the orphans, the widows, and you know, the poor people, it's as if all he cares about is himself. We're coming to the time of Pesach, and, and Pesach we know there's something known as Kimcha de Pischa. Kimcha de Pischa is a is a special fund that. Specifically on Passover, the, you know, <clears throat> the Jewish people try to give the people that are less fortunate the ability to, Pesach is very expensive. Imagine how difficult it is. There are so many families 
that cannot go and they cannot pay their bills. Forget about when you're dealing a Passover where the daughter wants a new dress or they, the matzot are very expensive or they have the, you know, the obligation to buy maybe, you know, like their son didn't have a new suit in so many years. The expenses are tremendous and there are many people that they said on the learn to they don't have enough money to pay for the expenses of this holiday. The, there's an obligation on every single Jew to go and help the people that are less fortunate for specifically this holiday. The reason why this holiday is specific, so there's a Tanat Be'eliyahu that brings down, that says that one of the reasons that the Jewish people were redeemed is that when the Jewish people were redeemed, they made a, a covenant, they made a treaty with each other. And they said, if any one of us is ever in need, the other one is going to help. Unfortunately, today, in today's day and age, um, there are many people that are, they don't have the means to pay for the you know, for the basic necessities for the holiday. How could they sit and say, oh, we're free today? How could they sit and say, and, and praise God, they are constantly nervous about paying the bills, about, they don't have money for anything. So, as an appeal for the people that are not, that are less fortunate, I, um, <clears throat> there's uh, somebody that's a very righteous person that's building me a website. And this website is not ready yet, but we made it ready live just for this reason. So if you go to, to, to my website, it's Rabbi Zitron at, uh, RabbiZitron.com. Over there, there is a spe- special site to donate. This doesn't go to me. I have nothing to do with this money. It goes specifically to the yeshiva that I'm involved with, which is Ari Yitzhak, where they're going and they're giving money to anybody that's ne- that needs money for the holiday. Um, I, I met with them at the beginning of the week. They need to raise $75,000 just for the, the people in the community here that don't have enough money to pay for the basic necessities of the holiday. So... As an appeal, I'm asking you, please open up your heart. If you, you know, open up your checkbook, open up your credit card, whatever it is that you want to do. Uh, the easiest way to do it. This is all. The the website is just being live, just for, specifically for this. It's uh, it's a link that goes directly to. So you go to my to my website, rabbizitron.com. Uh, it's r a b b i z i t r o n dot com. And in there you have a, a link. You'll see right in the right in the front. Maybe you scroll down a little bit. Specifically for this uh, for this uh, you know for this program, it, it goes you directly to their page. The money goes directly to them. I don't touch any of the money. It goes directly to the poor people. Um, and it's it's a very very big obligation and a merit that you will have because you want to go. You want to go tell God. Listen. I took care of your orphans, the widows, and the poor people. Because when the way that it works is everything is measure for measure, we just learned. You take care of God's children that can't take care of themselves, God's going to take care of you. So, Bezalat Hashem, may we all be able to open up our, our checkbooks, give generously to, to those that are, are more needy, and Bezalat Hashem, Hashem will give us a true redemption, a redemption that we'll see in Mashiach, in Meher, Questions? Yes. So, you said before how um, Torah like, holds up like, the world and that It's referring to Torah and prayer. If someone doesn't like pray, then like the world wouldn't exist. Thank guys, thank you guys for coming. I'm sorry I went so late. Okay. So um, it happens to be it's, it's Torah and prayer. I really meant to say you're right. It's Torah and prayer that it goes that that it, that it's continuous. So thank you for bringing that up. Any other questions? Any other questions on camera? Yeah. What is like the difference between, let's say, worshiping a like idol versus like I know like some like Jews put like a lot of focus onto like 
amulets, that they're like, whoa, how is that different? You're 100%. So I want to repeat that question. It's a very important question. And I want to expand on that. You know, how is it different idolatry in serving some stone or wood versus some Jews who put their, um, put their hopes in an amulet or in a rabbi or, and they pray, or whatever it is, all these different objects. You're right. That is also idolatry. And that is why we have to be very careful that we don't, you know, people put, you want to know what the biggest, People always use the biggest, you know, school lot for money. What the biggest school lot for money is give charity. Give money. And pray. And pray. Yeah, exactly. So we're going and they want to do this and they want to do that. The biggest thing that they do is, first of all, pray to God. That's number one. Number two, you know, you give charity. It's the same, th- same idea. So yeah, there's idolatry, unfortunately, a sense, a, 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 uh, a, a sense of idolatry also in, in the Jewish world when people put all their beliefs in an amulet or all their beliefs in a certain rabbi and they create in this rabbi which is 100% idolatry and then I'll do that so you can't there's only God and, and, and there's nothing other than God so you're 100% correct in that okay. any other questions? no other questions? okay you've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com